Te gustera venir conmigo a la iglesia el domingo. Mi iglesia es muy dorito. Dorito? Oh, dervitido. Y se puede transformar tu vida de pecano. Oh, pecado. Pecado. Not pecano, but... Pecano says muy delicioso. See? 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 See, I see. I don't even know. See. I don't even know what you're saying. You speak English? Yes. You're not a Spaniard. Well, I'm a quarter Hispanic, but I don't I don't speak the language. Seriously? Yeah, I never Seriously. I never learned the language. Seriously. What were you saying? Never mind. Seriously. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, we welcome our, our visitors, especially our guests today, and glad that you're here, and ho hope you'll feel very much a part of our family. And I uh, want to remind everyone of our attendance sheets that are on each row. We'd like to ask if, if everyone would fill that out and uh, uh, give us the information on there and uh, pass it down the road so others can do the same. Uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. Several announcements that I'd like to uh, bring to your attention. First of all, Upward is uh, in full, well, not full swing, but we're getting very close to full swing. We have been working very diligently this past week to sign up uh, uh, kids for our Upward basketball and cheerleading program. And I think if I heard correctly today, we've got about 130 kids already signed up. And there probably will be some more kind of straggling in here in the, in the next few days. Uh, so we've got a great start uh, but what that means is that we could use some volunteers. That's a very uh, important ministry that we have, also a, a labor-intensive ministry. So you can volunteer in any number of ways. You can coach. You can be an assistant coach. You can uh, work in the, in the uh, concession stand. You can clean up. You can set up. All sorts of things are available for you to do. And so if you would like to volunteer, please uh, just see one of us, and we'll be glad to put you to work. Uh, we also need some scholarships. Uh, we've we had a lot of calls for scholarships, and we, we, don't, we don't set uh, any parameters such that any child is not allowed to, to play because they don't have the money. We want it to be that any child can play or cheer uh, in our league. And so we make that happen. Uh, but what that means is that we're, we're kind of uh, footing the bill for some of these people, and, and we can't do it with the money that we receive. It's pretty much a break-even break deal. So um, we're asking for scholarships like we do every year. And there may be 
uh, you may want to uh, provide a scholarship for one or more or a partial scholarship. Whatever you can do would be appreciated. Each, uh, it costs us each, for each child about $65 for that child to play or, for, or to cheer. And so if you'd like to give a, a scholarship, you can just put it in the, in the offering plate. Just be sure to mark on your check that, uh, that it's for an upward scholarship and we, so we can uh, put it in the right place there. Next uh, Friday and Saturday is our Sure Way fundraiser. Uh, that's at uh, the Sure Way at Eastgate over across from North Middle School. And we, are, uh, we will be selling uh, half chickens, uh, pork chops, ribs, um, all sorts of things. And uh, you can buy a dinner. You can buy it separately uh, or however. And if you'd like to purchase some tickets ahead of time, you can do that. I have some right here. And if you'd like to take some tickets to sell them, this is a good week to sell them, folks, because it's the week before. And so please take some tickets and sell these uh, for our Sureway fundraiser. The money that we receive for this uh, goes towards a lot of the mission work that we do, especially locally here at our, at our church and, and the mission trips that we take, the mission projects that we do. That's what this money pays for. And so we would encourage you to do that. Next Sunday is, oh yeah, we need volunteers for that. Okay, thank you, Christine. We need volunteers for that uh, anywhere from 7.30 in the morning on Friday through uh, Saturday afternoon. And so if you would like to volunteer, we need people... To, to go and to help us set up on, on Friday morning. We need people to be there to, to do the prep work. Uh, might need some people to, to do the, uh, the pork chops. Uh, we'll need people to wrap up the, um, the meals. We'll need people to deliver because we're going to be delivering some of these meals. So you can help in any way. Just be there. And if you'd like to volunteer, see Christine. And, you know, she's always good to put you to work. So, um, and we'll we'll have a great time. Next Sunday is Back to Church Sunday. Not next Sunday, I'm sorry. Two Sundays from now is Back to Church Sunday on September the 16th. And we all know people who need to be in church who have who have uh, been in church before and, and maybe for whatever reason have uh, are, are not attending church now. And so this is an opportunity for you to invite them. Just don't invite them like that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and it really doesn't take much to invite somebody to church. All you have to do is say, you know, I've got a great church. Community Baptist Church is a great church. And, and, um, and, and if you don't go anywhere, I want to invite you to come to church with me on the 16th. And maybe you'll go by and pick them up and take them to lunch afterwards. And I hope that, that they'll come and they'll have such a, such a great time that they'll come back the next week as well. So that's, that's what that's all about. It's just a matter of inviting people to come to church. And we'll have some tools that will allow you to do that next Sunday. It should be some things we have ordered should be coming in probably Tuesday. Uh, and we'll have those that you can take and, and postcards that you can fill out and little things that you can hand out to your friends. Uh, Mary, did you have something you wanted to say today? Very quickly, I asked Dr. Tim this morning if I could speak just a second. Um, this is for Christian Outreach, and if you don't know, September is Hunger Action Month. And I pulled some figures. You may have seen this pay, uh, letter to the editor in the paper, but we, 
once again are in crisis mode at Christian Outreach. Um, This is a good month if you at all can help us. Uh, The first six months of the year, we served 2,613 families for food assistance. That's not the other assistance we give. That's just for food. And those 2,613 families don't sound like a whole lot for six months. However, if we just look at the month of June, in June we had 408 families. But that 408 people that signed in, our families are blended now. That represented 894 adults and 506 children. So for all through the month of September, there'll be a basket over here by Dottie's door, and it's Hunger Action Month. And our church, I'm asking you to, if you can, donate a canned fruit every Sunday, applesauce, peaches, pears, fruit cocktail. Our church is responsible for fruit, if at all possible. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Thank you, Mary. Certainly a worthy cause, and I... and. You know what? Our church always comes through, so we're we're grateful for that. So uh, we'll we'll look forward to the basket being full of fruit, starting starting now, I guess, starting now. Uh, let's greet each other in the name of the Lord. Let's stand and uh, share the love of God with one another. Everybody ought to know.
change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Cause Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. Hello. Oh, I'm so glad you're here because I thought I was going to have to sit up here all by myself. So I'm glad you're here. This is my what? My telephone. And when it, when your telephone rings and you answer it, what's the first word you say? 
It rings and you say, hello, hello. Do you ever wonder how we got into the habit of, or the tradition of saying hello when you answer the phone? I got to thinking about that. My, my brain thinks about weird things. Why do we say hello when we answer the phone? I think we just got into the tradition of saying hello. When, and that tradition happened um, by Thomas Edison. Do you know who Thomas Edison was? What did Thomas Edison invent? A light bulb and electricity. And he got us in the tradition of saying hello. Alexander Graham Bell, who invented what? The telephone. Thank you. He, when he created the telephone and started answering it, do you know what word he said instead of hello? Ahoy. He would say ahoy. I dare you to try that next time the phone rings. Ahoy. Because they were used to greeting each other on ships, and that's what sailors did when they greeted each other on a ship. They would say, ahoy. But it was Thomas Edison who got us to saying, hello. And now here we are, 150 years later, and we're still saying, hello, a tradition that we got into. Here's another thing my brain got to thinking about. Do you know what these are? What kind of candles? These are very special candles. What kind of candles are these? They're birthday candles. Yes, they are. Do you know why we put candles on a birthday cake? And then we light them. I'm going to try to get this up without throwing it in the floor. We put candles on a birthday cake, and then we light them, and then what do we do? And then we turn around and blow them out. Yeah. So we put candles on a cake, and we light them, and then we turn right around and blow them out. Now, do you know why that is? Do you know why we put candles on a birthday cake? And then we eat it. You're right. That's the funnest part. Well, way back in ancient Greece, that's a country far, far away. In ancient Greece, they used to make cakes, round cakes, in the shape of a moon. So they could honor the moon and they would put candles on it to reflect the moonlight to symbolize the moonlight. Well, then um, years and years and years and years and years later, the folks in Germany would put candles on a cake, and that would symbolize um, the light of life. Well, in the um, United States then, well, back in the 1850s, and that was like a really long time ago because this is 2012. Back in the 1850s, they, would, they really didn't celebrate birthdays because mom had a bunch of kids and she just kind of had more time than 
she didn't have time to celebrate birthdays. But by 1870, the German tradition of putting candles on, a, on the cakes came to the United States. And back then, what they would do in 1870, they would put candles on the cake and they would start with the smallest and they would put a, a candle that represented each year that you were old. So how old are you? Six. So your, your birthday cake would have six candles on it. And they would start by lighting the smallest one for year one. And then they would sing a hymn and blow that candle out. And then they would light the next one for the next year and they would sing a hymn. And then they would blow that candle out. Well, then by, 19, by 1880, um, the tradition of blowing out the candles... Um, they got to blowing out the candles. But instead of the birthday person blowing out the candles, the guests would light a candle and then make a wish for the birthday person. So if this was, um, we're going we're gonna to use Miss um, Adele because her birthday's on Friday. We would light a candle for each year of her birthday. She's more than two. Um, we would have this cake full of candles, and we would light, we as her guests at her birthday party would light a candle, and then we would say, Adele, our wish for you this year is for fun and family. And then the next person would come along, Greg would come along, and he would light a candle as a guest in her birthday party. And he would then give her a, a birthday wish. And when all of them were burned, then we would give the cake to the birthday person. And the birthday person then got to blow out the birthday candles and keep the cake. Um, and... So the tradition was then the smoke from the candles would take all the birthday wishes to God. Well, I, did you know all that? I did not know all of that. Well, here's another tradition. Do you know why we come to church at 11 o'clock? We do it at 1045 at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning instead of 830 on Sunday morning or instead of, you know how that tradition started? It was the farmers who needed to do all of their chores in, on Sunday morning. They needed to feed the cows and the chickens and milk the cows and get all of their work done. And then they would come to church and by that time it, and clean up. And by that time it would be about 11 o'clock. So that's how we got started having church about this time on Sunday morning. So... We have all of these traditions that we do, and we just do them because somebody ahead of us did it. They said hello, and we put birthday candles on a birthday cake and blow them out because we always have done it that way. Um, we come to church not out of habit. 
sometimes folks come to church because it's Sunday morning and we're supposed to go to church and, okay, I'm going to drag myself out of bed and I'm going to come to church, but I don't want to, but I'm supposed to do that and because I've done it since because my grandparents brought me and now I'm old and I still got in the habit of coming to church. Um, we come to church. Why do we come to church? To worship God. Yes, we do. We come to church to worship God. We come to church to learn about what Jesus taught us, because Jesus taught us um, the best way to live our lives. We come to church to encourage one another. Um, and we come to church to tell God how much we love him. Now, that's not just a tradition. And when we put candles on our birthday cakes the next time, we should remember that we are wishing somebody good wishes instead of just putting candles on a cake and saying, hurry up, blow those things out because I'm hungry, I want some cake. And the next time we answer the phone, whatever I did with my phone, we say, hello, as a polite greeting, instead of saying, yeah, what do you want? That wouldn't be a very good tradition to start with me. So just remember that although sometimes we have a tradition, sometimes they're good, and sometimes we have to remember why we do things the way we do them, because it's kind of hard sometimes to change from saying ahoy to hello. And instead of um, the birthday person making the wish, we make the wish for the birthday person. Okay? We come to church to worship God. So let's pray together. God, we come to, to this place so that we can tell you how much we love you. We want to learn about Jesus and about the things that he taught us, to how to love each other and encourage each other and to pray for one another and to hold each other up. So, God, I ask your blessings on these boys and girls. Um, give them a good week. Let them know how much not only you love them, but we love them as well. Thank you, God, for loving us. And, God, we love you too. Amen. Well, I have a tradition. When I do children's sermon, I have a tradition of having candy. So, here's my tradition of having candy. Okay? We're done. You can all go back. You're welcome. I think that's a good tradition to have candy. <laughs> and happy birthday, Adele. We, we wish good things for you. Please join me in our responsive reading. Printed in your worship folder and on the screen. Renew within us, O Lord, a vision of your kingdom where the last shall be first and the first shall be last.
Renew within us, O Lord, a vision of your kingdom where the greatest ones are those who serve. Amen. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching at war with the cross.
Christian soldiers, will you follow along with me as we read from the New Testament book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and omitting certain verses. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing their hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they, are thoroughly, they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, for example, washing the cups, the pots, and the bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they do not worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commitment, the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Picking up at verse 14. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. Verse 21. For it is from within, from every, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice or greed, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness or extravagance, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The word of God for the people of God.
Will you pray with me? Most merciful and gracious God, of whose bounty we have all received, we beseech thee to accept this offering, remembering thy love those who have brought it and those for whom it is given. So follow it with thy blessing, that it may promote peace and goodwill and advance the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Nibby. All right, how many uh, saw my Facebook post this morning? Some of you did. Okay, here it is, folks. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is change. Whoever said anything about change? My grandfather donated that light bulb. Well, Baptists are not the only ones who have trouble with change. The fact is that any time change takes place in any institution, particularly the church, there is resistance. Pastor Pete Contra tells about a small-town Episcopalian church in upstate New York who had a rector that had been at that church for over 35 years. And he was loved by the church. He was loved by the community. And after he retired, he was replaced by a young priest. It was his first church, and he really wanted to do well. But after he had been at the church for for several weeks, he began to, to perceive that people were a little upset at him, and he didn't know why. 
So he called one of his lay leaders aside and he said, I don't know what's wrong, but I have a feeling that there's something wrong. And the man said, well, Father, that's true. He said, I hate to say it, but it's the way you do the communion service. The priest asked, the way I do the communion service, what do you mean? And the layman said, well, it's not so much what you do as what you don't do. And the priest answered, I I don't think I leave anything out of the communion service. And the layman said, oh, yes, you do. You see, just before our previous rector administered the chalice and the wine, he would always go over and touch the radiator. And then he would touch the radiator, the young priest said. I never heard of that liturgical tradition before. And so the young man called his predecessor and said, I haven't even been here a month and I'm already in trouble. And the older man said, in trouble? Why? And the young priest said, well, it has something to do with communion and something to do with touching the radiator. Could that be possible? Did you do that? And the older priest just laughed and said, oh, yes, I did. Always before I administered the chalice, I touched the radiator to discharge the static electricity so that I wouldn't shock anybody. It seems that that had become such a tradition in that church that it made its way into the Holy Liturgy. And that church is now known as the Church of the Holy Radiator. Well, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law gathered around Jesus one day and and they saw that some of the disciples were eating their meals without the benefit of washing their hands. And this wasn't a matter of hygiene or anything like that. There was, there was no concept of germs in those days. There was no concept of bacteria. They didn't know anything about that. But it was their tradition to wash their hands before a meal, to wash their, their face and, and to wash traditionally, ritually. And not only their hands, but also the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles and things like that. And so the disciples were apparently neglecting these ceremonies. And that's what they were. They were ceremonies. And so the preachers and the the Pharisees and the teachers asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Well, Jesus was somewhat harsh in his reply. Here's what he said. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And then he said, you have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to the traditions of humans. Now we have to remember that Jesus was a practicing Jew. Yet he did not want his disciples to be slaves to Jewish tradition. And we may wonder why not. Well, The fact is that tradition is a powerful force 
in all of our lives, isn't it? It is a powerful force in all of our lives. And that is true not only in religion, but also in our society as a whole. How many of you have family traditions? Just about every hand went up. And those who didn't raise your hand, you do. We all have family traditions. We all have things that we do because mom and dad did them that way. We have these traditions. I heard about a newlywed who was anxious to prepare a wonderful meal of pot roast for, for her new husband. And so she bought the roast and cut the end of it off and put the vegetables and the seasonings together and, and, and put it in the oven. And so her husband asked, why would you cut the end off the pot roast? And the woman said, well, that's the way my mom always did it, so it must be the right way to do it. But she got to thinking about it and thought, well, there must be a good reason why mom always cut the end off the pot roast, but I've never really thought about it. I wonder why. What difference does it make? So she decided to call her mom and ask. And, and so, her mom, so she called her mom and asked, Mom, you're one of the best cooks I ever, I've ever known. And you, you taught me everything that I know about cooking, but can you tell me why you always cut the end off of the pot roast before you cook it? And her mom said, well, you know, I never thought about that, but that's the way my mom always taught me to do it. And, and so I, I just always thought that that was the right way to do it. And so the mom decided to call Grandma. She asked her why she always cut the end off the pot roast before cooking it. And she, she called Grandma and said, Mom, you taught me everything I know about cooking, and now I've, I've passed that on to my daughter. But let me ask you something. Why do we cut the, cut the end off the pot roast before we cook it? And the grandma just laughed and laughed and laughed. And she said, you mean you still do that? <laughs> and the mother said, sure I do. That's the way you taught me, and that's the way I taught my daughter. And then the older woman said, well, the reason I always cut the end off of the pot roast is because the pan I always had to cook the pot roast in was never large enough to hold the whole thing. And so I had to cut the end of it off to make the roast fit into the pan. Cutting the end off the pot roast became a tradition for that family. And we all have traditions in our families, don't we? We all have traditions in our families, some of which are, are wholesome and some perhaps not. But traditions show up in everything we do. Traditions give us our identity, and, and to a certain extent, they set borders on our behaviors. We have traditions according to our cultural heritage. We even have traditions according to the region of, of the country that we live in and, and, and which sports teams we follow and what hobby we, we may have. For example, how many of you think that you would be a University of Kentucky fan if you lived in Washington State? Yeah, I see some. <laughs> I remember shortly after I moved to Henderson, I was driving down the road. I was going to the Habitat office for a meeting, and I got behind a truck with a big red G in the window with a big bulldog in the middle of it. And I, of course, recognized it as the logo for the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Go dogs! 
Well, lo and behold, the driver of the truck also pulled into the Habitat office. And so I sidled up next to him and stuck my hand out and said, so you're the other one. And he looked at me and said, had this strange expression and said, the other what? And I said, the only other University of Georgia Bulldog fan in Kentucky. Traditions come from where we live. They come from where we are reared. And, of course, traditions play a bigger role in some communities than they do in others. Dr. G. Carswell Hughes says that the people in Charleston, South Carolina, for example, pay more attention to tradition than any other place he's ever seen before. And he he says that they pay particular attention to how long a family has lived there. It's important to them. And the general assumption is that a family cannot claim to be a native of Charleston, South Carolina until they have lived there for at least three generations. And that means being born in Charleston and remaining there in Charleston all of your life. He says that at a dinner party one night he he met a man whose accent was definitely that of, of Charleston and and never having met the man before, he casually asked him if he was a native Charlestonian. And with a sad expression on his face, he said, no, I'm not a native. I've lived in Charleston all of my life. My father and mother were born here and, and lived in Charleston all of their lives. And the same was true of both sets of grandparents and their parents and grandparents. And, but I'll never be a native Charlestonian. Well, the man, as the man spoke, Hughes was counting. And he said, it certainly sounds like more than three generations to me. And then the man explained why he was still not a native Charlestonian. He said, I was born during World War II, and my father was overseas, and my mother was visiting relatives in Greenwood, South Carolina, and by chance, I was prematurely born there. So he could never be a Charlestonian, even though his family had been there for many generations. He said all of this at a dinner party, says Hughes. And he said it as if he were confessing his greatest sin. (laughs) And when he finished, Hughes says that he was tempted to say, God be with you. Go and sin no more. Now, that may sound silly, but traditions give us a sense of identity. And for the Jews, that was always important. You see, the the Jews saw themselves as being set apart by God as, as a holy people. And their traditions helped them to maintain that identity and to set borders on their behaviors. You may remember that wonderful line that Tevye speaks in Fiddler on the Roof about tradition. He said, you may ask, why do we practice these traditions? Well, I'll tell you. I don't know why, but they are traditions. Tevi is the head of a family and living in a small Russian village, and, and he continually struggles this, with these traditions and values. And, and in this small village, there were traditions for everything, how to eat, how to sleep, what kind of clothes to wear. They always kept their heads covered and always wore a little prayer shawl to to show their constant devotion to God. And 
And because of their traditions, everyone knew who they were and what God expected from them. Tavia's whole life is molded by the, his adherence to tradition. But he's not a rigid man. He's willing to compromise. That is, until his daughter asked his approval to marry an atheist. And on this, he says he cannot compromise. And he loudly declares, some things I will not, shall not allow. It is tradition. In many ways, traditions can be good. They were for the Jews. Because if you really think about it, considering all the persecution that the Jewish community has experienced in its history, it's doubtful, doubtful that it would have ever survived if it weren't for their traditions. However, traditions can get out of hand. In the eyes of the Pharisees and the teachers, to eat with unclean hands was worse than how one treated one's neighbor. Their traditions had taken over their religion. And this is the greatest danger of tradition. You see, the danger of traditions is that they have the capacity of serving as a substitute for God. Our traditions can serve as a substitute for God. Traditions may tell us what is appropriate for our ancestors, but they may not be reliable indicators for how we should live our lives today. Folks, life changes. The world changes. Situations change. And what was good and appropriate behavior for our forefathers and our foremothers may not be appropriate behavior for us today. And that has always been the case. Even Jesus was continually saying to his disciples, You have heard it said of men of, by men of old, but I say unto you. In other words, what that means is that tradition says to look at a situation in this way, but I am saying that tradition can get in the way of love and it's time to look at it another way. Tradition is one guide for our behavior, but only one. And the fact is that times change. Situations change. And far more important than tradition is the spirit of the living God in our midst guiding us in our present situation. Let me use this example Suppose we had a tradition in our church that only people who dressed in a certain way would be acceptable in our church. For example, men should only wear suits. On the surface, we might be able to justify that. We, we believe that the worship of God deserves our, our best, and so why should we not dress in, in our very best to worship God? And that sounds like a, a reasonable tradition, doesn't it? But it is, is it where God would lead us? Cornelia Lynn tells about a man, a smelly beggar, dressed in rags, who visited a church, and the congregation did all it could to ignore this man. When the usher finally showed him a seat, it was, it was near the door where the breeze could dissipate his odor. 
But when the next Sunday came around, this same man came to church, but this time he was bathed and shaved and dressed in an expensive suit. The usher did not recognize him. He determined from the man's appearance that he was someone very important. And so he bowed to him. He took him to the front of the church and got him settled in a good pew. Indeed, there was a a stir among all of the congregation as they became aware of this distinguished visitor. And after the service, the minister and his wife invited the man to come to their home for dinner. Well, when they got to the the house, they, they made certain that they treated him This finely dressed gentleman like royalty. They wanted him to have nothing but the best. But then something quite peculiar happened. They sat down to dinner. But when the meat was passed around, the the guest took a portion of meat and then put it into his pocket. (laughs) Well, the hosts quickly looked away. But they couldn't help but to see the the stain that it was making on the man's expensive suit. So then when the potatoes were passed around, the visitor calmly took a serving of potatoes and put it in his other pocket. And when the gravy came around, he poured it into another pocket. And so finally the host asked the man, why are you doing that? And the man said, well, you obviously did not invite me to dinner. You invited my suit. And so I'm feeding my suit. (laughs) Ridiculous story, I know. But so is our tendency to elevate our tradition over Christ's love for all people. Suppose it were our tradition to have people of a only people of a certain race in our church or a certain theology or a certain way of worshiping God. Can you see that that there might come a time when God would say to us that it's time for us to move out of our comfort zone and to accept people who we previously shut out? This might be necessary for the sake of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees and the teachers were deeply religious people, but unfortunately they had begun to substitute their traditions for God. Their traditions told them who was acceptable and who was not. And even if God himself came to them and tried to change their traditions, they would not listen. In fact, God did come to them in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And they would not listen. Instead, they nailed him to a cross. Do you see that the same thing could happen to us? It has certainly happened to us in our history, in our past, as we have allowed our traditions to exclude certain people. And indeed, we might say that one of our strongest traditions is our resistance to change. But God is a God of change. And so here's my prayer for all of us today, folks. 
Let us open our hearts to the movement of the living God today. Let us not be held captive to our traditions. Rather, let us be held captive to the love of God for each of us. And through that love, to love our fellow human beings. All of them. Every single person. I hope that can be our tradition. Amen. We're going to sing today a traditional song, a traditional invitation song, Just As I Am. This is the one that uh, uh, Billy Graham sings at the end of each crusade uh, service, a traditional song. We didn't really pick it because it's traditional, but it's a good song. And the reason why it's so good is because it says to us that God will accept us just as we are. Just as I am, I come to you, God. And God says to us, just as you are, I take you. That's a good message for all of us. So if you've never made a commitment to Christ before, I invite you to come just as you are today. And what that means is you don't have to behave in a certain way. You don't have to, uh, to, to be a certain, in a certain status in your life or a certain place in your life. What it means is that you come to God recognizing that God is a God of love and mercy. And God loves you in spite of your sins, in spite of the, the things that you do wrong in your life. God loves you and God wants that relationship with you and so if you've never made that commitment to Christ and accepted the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God do it today I invite you to come right up here this morning and say to me I've accepted Christ as my Savior maybe you're looking for a church where you can serve the Lord where you can be open, where you can be accepting and loving to everyone because I hope and I think this church is that way. Or maybe you need a time of prayer today. You have some, some issues in your life that are going on. You'd like to pray with. God's dealing in your heart in any way. Please come just as you are.
Eternal Creator, You have been good beyond all deserving. All we have and all that we are is the gift of Your love. You have surrounded us with Your light and Your love, with beauty and with friends. You have placed hope within our hearts. And so in, re- in response to that love and hope, let us go from this place as doers of the Word and not hearers only not forgetting what we have heard. And as the Scripture has promised, you will be blessed in your doing. Amen.